All right. Well, hello, everybody. I'm excited uh, for my first show. This is all about schools and helping parents and teachers and everyone who works in this school to maximize the potential of every child in that school. And my concept of Uncommon Sense has done me well for quite a few years. My book, Uncommon Sense Children in School, is available on Amazon. You can you can explore that, but let me tell you a little bit about myself. I've got about 35 years experience with kids and kids with a lot of uh, emotional problems and also as a school psychologist for 16 years. And what I realized is our culture has changed and I realized that about 20 years ago. So I was kind of ahead of the curb and looked a little odd at the way I was doing things. But in the end and where we're at today, it was kind of prophetic i gotten a lot of uh, battles for the good fight over the years uh, to help our kids and realize that we, we don't have to change everything we're doing uh, uh, to make our system better. We threw all the babies out with the bathwater that did work. And now every year, you know, we start, it almost seems like school districts want to change things. They always want to keep changing things and thinking that something new is better. I don't have any fancy acronyms. I'm not going to tell you that uh, what everything I say is going to work quick. I'm not going to tell you everything that I say definitely works all the time. Uh, what I am going to say is that we have to do the work. And that, my friend, is not common sense anymore. People don't want to put in the work to change a school and the culture in the schools that we have today uh, is probably about a three-year process. But we have the tools, we have the passion with the people and the teachers in the schools, and, and, and at least most of them, and uh, our parents who want their kids to do better we have the pieces of the puzzle. We just got lost along the way. And uh, I'll give you some, uh, some of my main uh, reasons I believe we got lost or to prove that we got lost. And cell phones, my friends, the public scourge of our classrooms. And the problem now is we don't only have our children that are, you know, they're using a term addicted to them, but behaviorally, it's very hard to get them away from them. We also have adults in the schools and parents and school board members that have the same issue with them. So to rid them of schools is very, very difficult. And it takes a truly committed school district to see the damage this has caused, to make that change and go back to a proven method. If a parent wants to talk to their child, they call in on the phone to the office and say, I want to talk to my child. The child is sent for, he or she comes to the office, gets the phone call. And if the child needs to call their parent, what do they do? They raise their hand. I'd like to go to the office. I need to come call my parents. Th those things were never a problem. When cell phones hit the market, and this is the problem of modern technology, when cell phones hit the market, it got ahead of everybody. 
all of our new technology gets ahead of everybody so quickly, it creates more damage uh, uh, than it really needs to if we slow things down a little bit. But this got ahead of us. It found its way into the school system. And now, instead of the school system environment being a primarily learned environment, even though we recognize that most kids and myself included when I was in, we, we went to school to see our friends. We just happened to had to go to class and learn something too. Now we not only go to school to see our friends, we go to interact with them all day long. And even the schools that say they're not allowed, you can peek in and walk by a classroom door and kids have learned how to not even look at their phones and be texting and typing while they're, while they're class is going on and it's it's a factor with bullying uh through the cell phone usage it's a factor of your mind being way way out of the classroom and out of the school it's affected the learning environment of our schools in a serious serious way and if schools can't see that the damage that caused uh we really really have a problem and the schools who've turned back time and gone back to the roots of that process on how parents and kids communicate at school. When you look at the studies and you do your own research, I'm not going to feed it to you. Do some research on the schools that have said no cell phone policies. It takes some time, but the schools end up getting back under control. A lot of the silliness that happens within schools based on cell phone contact during school hours and the problems in the classroom, they're gone, they go. And the kids get used to it. Yes, it's frustrating at the beginning and people have to deal with a lot of garbage, but we got ourselves into this mess and now we have to fight ourselves out of the mess, but it's the good fight. It's it's the right fight. Uh, it's it's not needed. And I've had, I've had teachers and people tell me, you know, the reasons they're there is they use them for technology, but they're all excuses because nobody wanted to, nobody wanted the battle. Nobody wanted to battle with the school boards that didn't want to go through it. Nobody wanted to battle with the principals that were afraid to do it. So they made it look like cell phones were necessary in the school, in the, the uh, school environment. And they've never been necessary in the school environment. And they're not necessary today. And, you know, unfortunately, I think in life and in in, in, in uh texting and stuff. I think texting accidents now have overcome uh, alcohol-related accidents in cars. So it created a lot of problems. And it's not just children. We have adults. You know, it's easy to blame kids on new technology and the problems they're having. But we have adults. Like I said, the, the challenge in the school system now isn't just with the kids. Uh, I do believe that the staff need to have cell phones for emergencies. Uh but not on all the time, and they're not to be taking personal calls either, and, and, and you know that happens. But there are designated staff that should have the cell phones and, and need them and have to be able to communicate with their, you know, uh, leadership and, uh, if need be, emergency personnel. But uh, we don't need them, folks, and that's, that's a big start of what I call uh, changing a school into a legacy program which takes approximately two to three years. 
when we say we are committed to change and getting things back under control where our kids go to school and can learn and can focus on on school and still have fun, still be with their friends. You've got recess, lunchtime, before school, after school, bus rides. Uh, they can still be around their friends a lot of the time, but we're losing our, our educational milieu, uh, if you will. So that's one of the things. Uh, the other challenges we have are basic behavioral issues. And uh, a great example I can give you, and one of the things I want to do on this show is I don't want it to become a vengeance show where, where people come on to, I don't want schools named, I don't want you to use last names of people, just give me your first name, you don't have to name anybody else, go with your heart, leave your ego off the phone, uh, just go with your heart to learn how to do something or think about something a little bit differently to help the children and your peers and their, and your parents in your school setting. No vengeance. No vengeance. We're not on here to nail somebody else that we don't like. Uh, naming of peers or identifying your school isn't helpful. Only, my friends, if it's all positive, can you name your school all positive if you have something to say. Uh, otherwise, we're going to stay level-headed and... Uh, Certainly, we can vent frustration. That's understandable in a lot of situations. But we can come up with some ideas and some things that will get us back on the right track. What I was starting to say was behaviorally, a great example uh, was a situation, and I dealt with this quite often, where a child would act out in the classroom and and be, you know, in this case, kicking desks and doing kinds of things and had to leave the classroom. And when it came time to say, you're ready to go back to the classroom, a child said, yes, we were talking about fourth grade, I believe. And I said, OK, I said, but, you know, you'll be ready to apologize to the class for your behavior. He said, no, no, I'm not doing that. I said, well, then you, you can't reenter until you're ready to do that or else we got to call mom and dad or mom or dad or whoever the caregiver was. And uh, he was thinking heavily about it when we got to the door. And I told the teacher, I said, you know, this young man has something to say to the class, uh, wants to make an apology. And the teacher turned white as a ghost and said, no, 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 that's not necessary. Because this was a child with a lot of problems. And, and the teacher was worried, I think, that the child was going to have another tantrum or this or that. We had already kind of worked it out. And I said, no, I said, to re-enter a classroom after you publicly humiliated the classroom and disrupted the classroom to say, I'm sorry, uh, is the appropriate thing to do. And a teacher continued to say, no, that's not necessary. It's okay. Just let him back in. And I said, no, I held my ground. And the child said, lowly and soft voice said, I'm sorry. And what do you think the children in the class did? One by one, the children started saying, that's okay. That's okay. Thanks for saying that. And they'd say his name. Thanks for saying that. I'll say Sammy. Thanks for saying that, Sammy. It's okay. You know, come back in now. It's okay. Uh, we know you're sorry. That's the way it's supposed to be, folks. 
where did we stop expecting an apology? The child, that is not a shame or a humiliation to ask that child. Uh, you can't make him say he's sorry, but you can you can escalate that need to say I'm sorry by saying if we can't do this, we've got to bring mom and dad in. Now, mom and dad are already going to hear about it if it's an intact family, but you have to try, at least try to bring these common sense ideas back into the behavioral expectations of your of your students. Uh, so like I said, if child already publicly humiliated themselves in a classroom and disrupted the class, why can they not publicly say I'm sorry? So that, you know, that's one thing. We have uh, I'm sorry, thank yous, you know, for, please forgive my behavior, however you want to do it. But you know what? The adults have to be able to do that as well. When a teacher makes a mistake, a teacher has to be able to say in front of the classroom, I'm sorry, I was wrong with what I said to so-and-so. We, and, and I'm not saying there's not anybody out there that does that, but as a whole, we really have lost control of the classroom management uh, situation. Now, classroom management is, a, is an issue. I, I think in higher ed, they give you one course on it. Classroom management is a very, very difficult thing if you don't naturally get it. And I've seen teachers over the years who are naturals at it. They just, for whatever reason, they understand it. But a lot of people need training and help with classroom management. All it takes is one child to have behavioral issues in a classroom to upset an entire school year and lower the classroom performances of many of those peers in that class, one child. And usually if you get one child misbehaving and a teacher can't pull that back under control, what starts happening? You get a domino effect. So now it's not one, one or two or three or four. It just kind of grows. Uh, and you have all the other kids, you know, they're getting what they want because they may, there may be something about school that's hard for them or that subject matter or having problems at home or whatever that's creating some of that issue, emotional challenges. But, uh, you know, at that point, we've lost the classroom. Now we have frustrated children who want to learn or aren't having behavior problems. And we have frustrated teachers. And then we start talking about teacher retention. We're getting burnt out teachers because then it's, it's not their fault. One class of classroom behavior management doesn't cut it. Uh, we need a lot more focus on that in higher education. Then our public school system needs to do a better job and adjust to that. Now, we've been doing this mandatorily for elementary schools for 100 years. Since 1918, American public school system has had uh, mandatory school for elementary students. And I can't remember offhand right now when middle and high school started, but let's say 100 years. In 100 years, we haven't learned and we've regressed. And that is, that's an embarrassing statement for me to even have to say that we've regressed. When you do something for a hundred years, you should be expert at it. There should be no more, we, we can't do this. And what's changed? Well, the culture changed. A breakdown of the American family. We've got probably more than half the kids in our classes now that have divorced parents. 
the percentage of those divorced parents that actually work together in the best interest of their child for their schooling, where do you think that stands at? I can put those parents in my 17-year school psych career, I can hold those parents in one hand uh, that worked together and could be at the same meeting together, helping their child who's having problems. So we've got major, major challenges with the family breakdown. And what most people don't realize when we have our, our child study team meetings or they bring kids up to dialogue that are having problems, they go to the primary caregiver that usually has the, the, the child in the home that's been granted you know, primary custody. But they don't realize you still have to invite the other parent because the other parent doesn't show doesn't mean they get a pass. Now, if they've proven they can't behave themselves in the school or they have proven that they don't want to be involved, but guess what most of these people say when I contacted them because I understand that rule and that need that both parents need to be involved in the schooling of their child if at all possible and if it's positive. Most parents will say, the school never calls me. I've never been invited. Now, could it be an excuse? Sure. But we've got to give the benefit of the doubt uh, to, to go at that. And I've seen more progress come of that when you get the, those parents on the same page for that child, because that may be the first time those two people are talking again in the best interest of their child in years. But it takes a skill set. And that's what I'm talking about, a legacy school. When you start changing things like this, these are big things. And, and getting this back together, uh, it takes time. It doesn't take a four-letter acronym so people, everybody remembers it. A legacy program is just that. It's a legacy program. Do you want one for your school? That takes approximately two to three years for everybody to get on board and understand it. I can offer ideas to do that because there are no quick fixes, but we can resolve a lot of common problems in these shows with with folks calling in. And please uh, call in at any time, you know, 888-627-6008. Uh, and uh, ask any questions you want. And we'll give you my best answers. And ladies and gentlemen, it's free will. You can accept my thoughts and ideas or not. I just ask that you consider them and that you consider, well, what are the other options? In my own experience, most other options have been tried. And I build my, my skill set on the concept of uncommon sense because that describes the situation in a lot of schools right now People are just reaching for anything that works. Somebody can come in with a $10,000 program and, like I said, that fancy little cute acronym and say, this works 100% of the time, do this. And it, 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 it's just when you hear 100% of the time and it works with children with problems, <laughs> that should give you a clue. And every parent knows that. Every teacher knows that. You, you are not going to find something that works 100% of the time, and you're not going to find something that you're going to change overnight that's been going on for 30 years. And the cell phone policy, that's something that 
look at where we're at right now in the school year to 2019-2020 school year. You have to start talking about that now. So your your legacy program would start this year just in the dialogue about next year. And this is a meeting with the principals, the superintendent, vice superintendent, you know, the, the, the assistant superintendent, all the principals, all parent-teacher associations, the school board members. This is a dialogue, dialogue that starts now. We want to start the 2020 school year without cell phones, a no cell phone policy. And that is one of the main one of the main things that has to happen to commit to change your school because that clears the slate and gets rid of so many other problems then you can start doing a lot more of the work now we can talk about bullying we can talk i've done uh, if you go to my site uncommon sense consults.com uh, you can listen to some radio interviews i did i i don't know a few years ago, I, I'm a, a caregiver now. I, I left my career to caregive for my parents, uh, but I was doing uh, some work with a PR company. I did about 13 interviews, national and regional interviews on school shootings. And, you know, one of the things that that I want people to understand is those kids the potential of those kids that are in almost every school. And the key to addressing that and bringing peace to your hearts and your minds uh, about that issue is don't ever let children hang out on the fringe. Connect with them. Every adult can connect with them. You can use your stronger kids and your more popular kids to connect with them while they're younger. While they're older, you can have teachers really connecting with them. Do you know that in some of those school shooting incidences, even adults were making fun of those kids on the fringes, the eye rolls, the different things they were picking up on, and other students were reporting that. So if you're already on the fringe and there's problems going on, you're, you, we, we have, we're throwing fuel on that fire. We can do things to stop those kind of mass, mass shootings and, and just horrific outcomes by paying attention to who's on the fringe and looking that young man or that woman in the eye every day and say, hey, by name, how you doing today? How was your day? You cannot let children isolate and just because they want to be left alone and they're angry or they'll just mumble under the breath. They won't say anything back. Don't buy into that. Keep saying hello. Keep smiling and making eye contact. So that's a huge one. Uh, you know, the, the, the bullying, again, some of this seems so simple, uh, but very, very difficult to obtain. That's why uh, my book, Uncommon Sense Children in School, that was written in 2006. You can, you can find that on Amazon. We talk about, you know, teachers, every teacher being in the doorway at the change of class. Just the teacher's presence stops a lot of bullying. Watching those hallways, being outside your door, saying hello to the kids on the way in and on the way out, having teachers circulate through the labs, 
paying attention to your bus drivers, listening to your bus drivers, making sure that they're trained well for these kinds of things and watching. Janitorial staff, kitchen staff, secretarial staff. Folks, this is bigger than the classroom. And when you connect all these pieces and all your classroom, all your school employees together for the good fight and for watching, and a lot of those folks see more than, than we could ever see from the classroom, uh, they become a valuable, valuable team member. Eyes and ears, eyes and ears all over the place. I, I've been in some schools that had areas that we knew bad things were going on and I was the one patrolling them and I was a school psych and I should not have been the one patrolling them because my job was to ev help evaluate children and learning and behavioral problems and if I ended up in a disciplinary role, which unfortunately I, I did a few times, uh, uh, if I ever have to work with that child, they would probably not get their best effort. So what happens are people get afraid when they feel like they're acting alone the teamwork that it takes to build a legacy program in a school so you can say i helped start a legacy program in my school and in year two i'm still helping build a leg in year three we have built a legacy program we're handing down to the teachers and the children of our school district now for the rest of this school district's existence, as long as everybody keeps it up. Because once it starts rolling, it's hard to turn back the clock. When people see the outcome, the benefits, a happier school environment, a safer school environment, people communicating, home and school communicating, uh, all staff working together, it's a beautiful thing and very, very hard to achieve, but it will never be regretted. It'll never be regretted. Uh, people will be proud of what they've done, what they've accomplished, and, and will know that they set the wheels in motion for their community and their schools for the rest of their careers and the rest of the lives of those children. Right now, what can we say if we don't do anything for many of our schools that are struggling and we just keep looking for that quick fix what can we say what did we do to change it yeah what maybe three people in your school that are passionate and always yelling out about change but it's only three people and you know people get burnt out and tired from saying we've got to change we've got to change it really has to start with your, your leaders, your school boards, your superintendents, your principals, your parent-teacher associations, in anybody in a leadership role, they have to start sitting down together and planning. And that's the first step. You're planning for next year. Don't panic yourself and say, we have to do this this year. The plan starts this year in our minds and in our hearts. And I say hearts a lot. I'm a practicing Christian. I don't have to preach. I don't have to 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 do that to to show light. Uh, it'll come through my words and my passion to help children, and and that's all I need is just people to feel the passion and the will to help kids be successful. And 
if we can do that and come out of this with no regrets when we work with kids, we are on target. No regrets. No regrets. Uh, but we have to have to do the work. So that's kind of a good start, you know, to what I'm what I'm all about. Some other topics. Uh, you know, we have special education and regular education, and people say we're supposed to have inclusion. And uh, I've worked and I was able to move around. I enjoyed moving around and, and giving my best in school districts and trying different things because school psychology is a very needed position. So you can make it make a change in one school district and, and have a lot of fun with the kids and the staff and get things going better. And, you know, after five or six years, move on to somewhere else. You can also, if in one year you see that a school district is stuck and they just don't want to work with you and move forward, you can move on to another school district that is showing some promise. That's the gift of a, a position that has that geographic mobility. So we look at things like inclusion, and I will be honest with you that I have not seen a school district do it correctly because inclusion takes more staff in the regular ed setting. And uh, we have schools and everybody's talking about money and, and where it's going. Well, it's not going for extra staff to help the regular education teachers with children with higher needs. So it's very difficult to do a pure inclusion program. So we still have a lot of separation of students in special education and regular education, which should be much, much less. Uh, we talk a good game, but we haven't really acted upon that. So I, I kind of say a lot of times and, you know, we should all be regular or we should all be special. Uh, but there are ways to bring those two together and have children working together and your strongest asset in helping other children with special needs in your schools are other children who don't have those special needs. You put them in leadership positions and they'll perform. And again, that's a part of a, a changing program. And some schools do it. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that none of these things have ever been done, but we've got to do this on mass. Uh, maximizing the safety of classroom and school settings. And that, that means uh, building supportive fellow students where the students are the primary people. They're policing each other in a very positive way. And teachers are policing each other. Uh, in a positive way, supporting each other. If one teacher is struggling, one of the largest egos going, you know, you have business egos and whatever, but in the school system, a lot of people focus on the parent ego. However, the teacher ego stops a teacher with limitations in certain areas from reaching out to another teacher who is gifted in those areas to say, I need help. So we've got to leave the egos, like I said, in, the, in our case here, we leave the egos off the phone and computer. In the classrooms, you leave your ego at your front door when you walk out of it and are on your way to school. Leave it home. Go home and your goal is just to help children. It has nothing to do with your own personal uh, uh issues. So we've got uh, supervision in the schools. We've got uh, suicide risks and those kinds of things. And again, the suicide risk is really very similar 
and watching out for as the um, watching out for the bullying and watching those kids on the fringe. And I want to say this, uh, this make this distinction between quiet and shy children. And a lot of times you'll hear you'll hear the parent or you'll hear a teacher say, oh, they're just quiet or they're just shy. Now, if a child is just shy, that means that they're not an extrovert. So they tend to have less friends, maybe one good friend, and they tend to connect with less teachers, maybe some other teachers that, for whatever reason, they're attracted to and could communicate with. A quiet child, I want to know why they're quiet. Quiet and shy are two different things. A quiet child is not communicating and you don't see them with other kids and they're being quiet and not responding to adults easily. How do we know that's not anger in its seed state or way past the seed state? That's got to be explored, folks. You can't just accept a child because somebody said, oh, they're just quiet. And because there's so much mayhem sometimes going on in the schools and in the classroom sometimes, those children get perceived as they're a good kid because they're not causing problems. And uh, that's a very risky assessment to, to make because guess who are the kids that end up being the shooters? When did you hear the last time a shooter was very social Loved by the other kids, well-respected, communicated with the other kids, had great relationships with all the teachers. When was the last time you heard that? And I will be bold here and say, I don't think you've ever heard that. Unless there was some serious mental mental illness going on and a child just totally flipped. I have not heard that yet. When a school shooting happens, you have to let time go by before the facts come out. Because initially... Almost everything that's said initially is maybe a semblance of the truth or not even close to it. But after a couple of weeks, the truth starts coming out. Most people knew there was something wrong. The parents had known there was something wrong. Teachers know there was something wrong. The communication broke down about how to deal with it sometimes a long, long time ago. I'll give you an example. I I worked with a family that uh, uh, had a teen, and the teen had a lot of problems. And I was new in the school district. I said, okay, when was the last time we had the parents in? And they said, in the second grade, we believe, was the last time these parents came into the school building because they were very angry at what was being said and uh, a teacher lashed back out at them, and they never came back. They used that as a reason to never come back into school. The teacher gave them what they wanted. It was very difficult dealing with their child, and we have to understand these parents are tired also. We, we, we really need to give people the benefit of the doubt, not judge everybody. Some of these children can be exhausting, not just in the school setting, folks, which you're seeing, but in the home as well. Now, sometimes they're showing the exact opposite in both environments, but but sometimes, uh, uh, you know, what you see in one place is also being seen in the other. But they can be very exhausting for both the teachers and the teacher aides, 
and who I didn't mention before are a very important part of the team, obviously, as well. But, you know, parents get tired. You got parents that are, and teachers are parents too. A lot of teachers are parents too. They understand this. Parenting is quite demanding. I am not a parent. I'll, uh, I need to put that right out there. I've always asked parents to try to tell me what it's like to parent their child. Now, I was, I did help raise my niece, was as close as I came to a parent and loved the experience. And uh, that's the closest I came to a daddy. It was a mixture of a daddy, uncle, and a, a big brother kind of thing, all mixed together. And we lost her. But that was my, my only experience. But I am not a parent now. And I, I can only say, tell me what it's like to be a parent. Tell me what it's like to be a teacher for this child, and we'll see what I could do with my experiences. And my blessing and my gift is that I've been around thousands of children at this point in my, my, my life. And the more children you're around, the larger base and behaviors and strategies and you've become aware of over the years. And if you're a good learner and passionate about children, that that's a goal of mine. And that's what I bring to the table is a different way to look at some things and an honest way to look at some things. And I'm not afraid to discuss difficult, difficult topics. And here's another example of what I offer this show. We had a child who was very obese in elementary school and picked on and bullied. And it you, you, you folks have seen it and heard it. I said, we've got to get the parents in to talk about this. And I had everybody saying, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. The mother is also very obese. I said, no, we can't not do that. We have to be honest with that mom. What's going on? Our child is the focus right now. We've got to have faith in the mom that she'll hear us. So when the meeting came about, again, everybody is very, very tense. And... Uh, I always put the parents in the, well, I shouldn't say always. I rarely say never and almost never say always. But most of the time, a parent should be in the power position at those tables in those meetings, at the ends of those tables. And we put her there to give her the respect and the power she deserved at that table. And I said, you know, Mrs., we'll just say Smith, Mrs. Smith, the biggest challenge we have with, we'll call him Johnny, is that he gets picked on for his weight. And I said, it's heartbreaking. And I pull on heartstrings. I say, you know, he gets picked on a lot because of his size and his weight. And she burst out crying. And everybody's silent. And she lifts her head up and she says, look at me. She said, I did this to him. And I said, I said, I said, listen, we care about both is. We want to see your son be successful. How can we help? How can we help as a team? What do you think we can do differently? And what do you think you can do differently at home? We've got to help your son become stronger, to handle the comments, and to get him more healthy. And she said, well, I got to get the snacks out of the house. She said, it's constant. She said, so we had this great dialogue that went on. And, and, and again, it's okay to, dis, 
that's when you've got to put things on the table, folks. When you have children that are suffering terribly, we cannot not talk to their caregivers, whoever they may be, about those problems. So please, please know that uh, I'm very honest about what we need to put on the table and, and get the work done. And, there, and, and sometimes those are difficult meetings. I, you know, sometimes they don't go right the first time. But I will tell you that those parents go home and when you, when they know that you love their child and you and I say love in an agape kind of way that you just love kids and you want kids to succeed, they will feel that they might get angry and leave the meeting and not talk to us for a week or two, but they'll come back because that feeling will not leave them. They will see that we truly care about their children, the way we speak to them with respect and honesty. And I, I, I love that part about the job, uh, having those results. The longest I had someone angry at me was when I had to identify a little girl in the first or second grade with a cognitive impairment. And we're going back to the 90s, uh, late 90s. And that dad, uh, I believe, hated me for a long time. He, at the meeting, he walked out. He said, don't ever say that about my daughter. He was very angry, left. The, the wife kind of felt bad for his behavior. Uh, but that man I saw for the next two years in passing. And I'm telling you, if there weren't witnesses around, I might not be here today. But after two years, he approached me out in the bus parking lot one day. And he looked me in the eye and he said, I want to tell you I'm sorry. My daughter has a problem. You were right. And she's benefited from the program that my wife had to talk me into letting her go into some special ed supports. And my response was, it's okay, man. I know it was hard stuff to hear. And maybe, you know, I'm not perfect. Maybe I said it in a way that was hard for you, but it, it's okay. And uh, we went... <laughs> You know, we just move forward together. So you've got to be ready for that. I've been in shopping markets and I walk around the aisle and I got people wanting to shake my hand, you know, for things I've done. And I turned a corner and I got people wanting to spit on my shoes. So it's we're not ever going to have everybody like us for all the decisions we have to make. And uh, but when we make them in the best interest of the children, People will come back around, even if they don't react positively at first. You just have to have faith in that. Love their children, people will feel it. Respect each other and people will feel it. But again, that's letting the egos off the table and not interfere with the process uh, for us to move together. So there's a lot of personal and professional responsibility and accountability for this process that people have to grab onto. And I'd like to say, you know, once we do this, when we talk about these leg this legacy program, really the goal is, you know, it's easy to assess. Your attendance should increase. Grades should increase. Class participation could, should increase. Staff retention should increase. Parent, parent and caregiver satisfaction surveys should show better results. There are ways to measure this uh, that are not that hard. Uh, and the other, the other thing that 
that's happened is how the arts have been cut from the school. And all of our higher education and research tells us the arts stimulate the brain. They stimulate the brain in a way that children will learn better across the school setting and other subject matter. But what do we do? What's the first thing that gets cut is the stimulation. <laughs> is the art class, is the music class, is the drama class, the theater class, you know, music, whatever. They get cut. We've got to find a way to keep these programs in our schools because we're, we are locking the door on potential uh, say geniuses, potential talented children, and in, in, in sports as well. Sports usually doesn't get cut. Uh, sometimes it just doesn't get built, but it doesn't get doesn't usually get cut. But when we don't have these programs, we are losing so many, missing so many gifts that children bring to the table. And if we believe the results of higher education the performance of the other students will decrease somewhat. Now, my other passion is helping children uh, or helping families who've lost children. So, you know, in my own family, we've lost a, we've lost a couple, one to suicide and my, 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 my nephew to suicide, my niece to a vehicle accident. I have a special place in my heart to help those families and teachers and peers who've lost, you know, a child, a friend, a student. And uh, I pay a lot of attention to that. And maybe that's set for another chapter. I have a nonprofit called A Thousand Brothers. You can look that up at a thousandbrothers.org. Uh, I think the site's being rebuilt. I'm not sure if it's ready to go yet, but I'm piloting that in Northeast Pennsylvania. And I uh, work very hard. Half of everything I make, uh, which is very little because I'm a caregiver, but I go out and I, I get houses that are going to be demoed and I get them to let me scrap them. Uh, and then I use half of that. And I've been building my, my, my nonprofit in that way, in whatever way I can. So when I sell books or whatever, half of that is going into my nonprofit until it's functional on its own. But we have to pay attention to those families. It is one of the most devastating uh, processes of the human condition. And then the kind of accident, suicide or death uh, also matters. And I'm very big, and this may surprise people when I say this because it sounds like a money thing. I'm very supportive, and I am certified, and I got certified just for this life insurance policies for children as a gift from my grandparents or great-grandparents. You don't want to be the person across from a family that is nearly begging everybody they know for money because they want the best service for their child. Now that they come out of it 30 grand in debt, so now they've lost a child and they're devastated and they're dealing with debt. And I am one of those persons, folks, this thing that still bothers me, that went to my niece's gravesite one day and the headstone was ripped off it. Ran down to the office in a panic, thinking somebody stole it. And they actually took it off because my sister didn't pay her bill. She was broke. And uh, they were never supposed to do that. But it's devastating to see people in that position 
that don't have the funds when they lose a child and it's pennies on the dollar and I will always advocate for that. So please know and again if if I ever am able to get back into that and, and get that moving again, uh, half of that, what I earn on that goes into my nonprofit. That's my passion. My passion is children in schools and helping people get back back on top of things and children being successful and schools being safer and helping these grieving families, friends and teachers and staff, school staff. Uh, again, 888-627-6008. We're coming to an end, close to the end of this first show. I'll be here in two weeks again. Uh, and I'm hoping that people will be ready to uh, call in or be interested in listening again. Uh, but, but it's the dialogue between us that's going to make the difference of this show, folks. It can't be me. I can go on for hours and hours and hours about this stuff. But unless we talk to each other about what kinds of problems you're having and what you want to do, it'll be hard to make progress for your school. And that's what I want to see. I don't want to just be a mouth. I want to see you. I want to see you and hear your stories and hear your progress. And, and believe in my heart that I'm helping you. So uh, that's where I'm at. And uh, I'm going to fight to keep this show going. And hopefully it'll be a success. Um, because we need it. I don't see uh, I don't see people really tapping into the uncommon sense part, folks. And we we are not we are not working in a common sense model today. And if if we don't realize that then we've already lost. And we may have some blue star schools out there and some schools that are doing really well, but I'm sorry to say that many are not. And the inner, you know, it's not just the inner cities. We, you know, we've got to pay so much more attention to them and give them the respect and time they deserve and, and get out in suburbia and out in the country schools too. It's all over. It's not just in one place. So uh, that's what I have to say for this show. I think we're kind of winding down. And if anybody has a has a statement to make, you can call in at one eight eight or eight 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 six two seven six zero zero eight. My name is David Wilson. Uh, I've been around a long time with children, and have a lot to offer. And I want to share that with you. Again, I have one book. Uncommon Sense, Children in School, you can find through Amazon. I got a Christian fiction novel out there called The Wisdom Child. That's under David Michael Wilson. That's also available at Ex Libris, Barnes Nobles, Amazon.com. Again, half of what I make goes to my nonprofit. Uh, and uh, I got my consultation website, Uncommon Sense Consults, LLC. But on UncommonSenseConsults.com where you can get to know me a little bit better. But the best way is let's start talking to each other. And uh, and that is the way I believe we can move forward as a team. So I think we're going to sign off for this week. And I am very hopeful that in two weeks... Maybe you'll get the word out 
that there is this guy and he jabbers a lot, but he makes some sense and maybe we should listen to what he has to say and kind of start spreading that around. And I think, uh, I think if we do that, we might get somewhere. We might get somewhere together, but I need you to start uh, uh, talking to your peers and, and getting the word out. Makes sense. Uh, the the best the best uh, the best way to do this is is uh, to to talk to each other and and say hey you know if you have a good reputation and you heard somebody that you liked uh, people are going to listen to you now if you didn't like it that's that's like I said earlier free will and nobody's forced to do anything but but. If you think there's something to this, start spreading the word to your peers. Uh, you know, tell them the show is going to be on. You can get on BBS radio station and uh, look up when the show is going to be. It'll be in two weeks. I can't. I don't know the exact date, but the number will be the same: eight 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 six two seven six zero zero eight. And get people to tune in. It will be on a Sunday evening at the same time: five o'clock Pacific, eight o'clock Eastern. And we'll go at it again. And hopefully you'll have some people that valued your opinion and said, yeah, let's listen to this guy. Let's get our superintendent to listen to this guy. Let's get our parent teachers association on board. And that book on common sense children in school uh, has a lot of this stuff uh, in it. Not everything because you can only put so much in. But. Uh, I got I got a good bit of stuff in there that a lot of people didn't like to talk about openly. And I'm not a literary genius, but I know how to get my point across. And if you look on Amazon and look at the reviews of that book, and again, I wasn't able to market it heavily, but the uh, reviews will, will say a lot. So please take a look and, uh, you know, look at the reviews on it. And I think there's about 14 and uh, take a risk. They don't, you know, you can find if you look hard enough over the course of a week or two, you might find 12 bucks laying around somewhere to buy a book. If you smoke, put the smokes down. Get rid of the bad habits that are hurting you and your, your loved ones and buy a book uh, that can help you out. I, I feel blessed that I'm able to do this and I... I I thank this uh, BBS radio for this opportunity. It's, it just got me fired up and back in the game. And I don't say game disrespectfully. It's a fight. But it is the good fight. And uh, I'm in it. I'm in it till I'm uh, not existing on this earth anymore. So uh, I just want to do it together with a lot of people and help change a lot of schools. And I hope to find other like-minded people that, uh, even though we may have different ideas, but are invested in invested in changing and get our, getting our schools back under control where kids are safe and happy and learning and uh, attending school and not conflicting. All right, folks, have a good night. Thank you for listening.